Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say that we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we are supposed to be, helping you to pick up the pieces from what was an end to a very disappointing weekend if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Got a lot of other positive things to get to, but boy, was that a sour taste in the mouth after Sunday night football from the National Broadcasting Company. And with that, we bring you into the Keeper of the Games podcast right here is episode number 78. I am Blake Cripps, joined by Tommy Castor, as we take another hour to discuss the best and the worst of sports in and around and of interest to Wichita, Kansas. Tommy, uh, you know, earlier in the weekend, things were going pretty good. I, I feel like if you were a KU fan, you had positive things to think about. Kansas State had positive things to think about. Obviously, wind surge fans had plenty of positive things to think about. We're going to get to all those things, but uh, the the last thing that you were thinking about, if you're a Wichita sports fan, was a really, really disappointing setback in Baltimore that seemed like it was going to go the Chiefs' way until the very last moment. You know, Blake, I, I know I bring up the fact that I have a baby on most episodes of the podcast, <laughs> but you know, nowadays, my sleep is very important to me. And so I try to go to bed at a certain hour and I defied that last night so I could stay up and watch the end of Sunday night football. Uh, and by the time that game was over with, I was more angry at the Chiefs for making me stay up later and get less sleep last night uh, because of, of what happened. And I, I should have just went to bed. Yeah, you, you could have. Uh, you watched a game where Patrick Mahomes threw for 343 yards and three touchdowns, and the Chiefs seemed to glide down the field with ease at times, but the Chiefs found a way to lose on Sunday night. A passing league, don't tell that to the Baltimore Ravens, who ran the ball 41 times for 251 yards and basically cut the heart out of the Kansas City Chiefs on the ground. Three rushing touchdowns, a heartbreaking 36-35 loss yesterday evening i guess it'll be two nights ago for those of you watching as we upload on tuesday baltimore has run for over 100 yards in 41 consecutive games it's the second longest streak in the history of the shield behind only the steelers they did it 43 straight times between 1974 and 1977 that brings me to my first point tommy you would think that maybe the Chiefs and Steve Spagnuolo would have had a better game plan and players maybe would have been a little bit better prepared for the run, that this is kind of what the Ravens do. They live in the ground game. It appeared that they were anything but because they could not stop anything. You can go ahead and queue up the uh, the Nick Saban soundbite. Yeah, go ahead and... and the Georgia Southern game a few days ago, a few years ago. That's exactly what happened to the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday. But for all the Mahomes magic that there was in this game, Tommy, and there was plenty to go around, the Chiefs led by two scores in the fourth quarter. And the game changed. The one defining play of this game did not occur when the Chiefs were on defense. It was the Patrick Mahomes interception, an inexplicably bad decision, falling down into double coverage, when the Chiefs had a lead and really just needed to hold serve for the rest of the game. That gave the Ravens the possession that took potential Chiefs points off the board and obviously gave them all the momentum they needed to take this down. What are your initial thoughts after the Chiefs dropped what should have been, what could have been a 2-0 start? Well, I mean, I want to address you know, what you said about Patrick Mahomes here in just a few minutes. Uh, but but I want to get back to first off the defense for Kansas City. Uh, let's not forget, you know, you talk about the rushing attack from the Ravens. Let's not forget that Baltimore, they lost their top three running backs to injury, season-ending injuries before the year even began. J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, and Justice Hill gone. This is a makeshift running back room for the Ravens. You know, you had Tyson Williams, 
you had Devontae Freeman, you had Latavius Murray, and then of course you had Lamar Jackson. But those guys just ran roughshod over the Kansas City defense. Blake, the Ravens could have trotted you and I out there to run the football (laughs) against the Chiefs defense. And it wouldn't have mattered. We could have gained three or four yards of carry, and I can barely run. So I uh, believe it, that that unless I knew that it was true, if you had just woken up and not been paying attention to the Ravens, you couldn't have tell, told me that those were not their top three guys the way they ran over Kansas City. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And you know, I had. I don't want to say I had high hopes for the Chiefs defense coming into this game, but I had higher hopes than the game against the Browns because of the fact that they were you know, bringing back to Ron Matthew and they were bringing back Frank Clark. Those two guys started the game for Kansas City and Matthew had a big impact early on. He had that pick six to you know kick the game off for Kansas City, um, you know, had another interception in the first half as well. You know, so I really felt like the impact was there. But unfortunately, when you're Teron Matthew and you're playing in the secondary, uh, the chances to, you know, cover a passing play are few and far between with the Ravens offense. They're going to run the ball or they're going to option the ball, you know, pretty consistently. We saw that on Sunday night and there just was there wasn't anything that Kansas City could do to stop Baltimore's rushing attack. Um I know that Chris Jones is a dominant defender, but, you know, it was discussed multiple times on the broadcast last night with Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth about, you know, Chris Jones playing on the edge. And that's just that's something that you and I haven't talked a whole lot about uh, so far this season. We all know how dominant Chris Jones has been as a chief, but this is a new experiment for him playing on the edge. And I'm not so sure that he's as effective as when he's playing on the interior of the defensive line. Now, obviously... Let me ask you this, Tommy. Is the outside... I feel like his athleticism really translates well to that position. I like the move. My question to you is, is this a schematic decision? Because when you are the outside guy and you're playing a traditional run running offense or a traditional drop back spread offense and you can just attack the quarterback that's a lot different than when you're trying to to read the RPO especially with a guy like Lamar Jackson being the quarterback and he obviously incredibly athletic incredibly smart and mostly in the RPO against the Chiefs made very very good decisions yeah, I think that's part of it. But I mean, you also have to go back to week one. Chris Jones didn't have a huge impact against Baker Mayfield either. And it's not like the Browns run a whole lot of RPOs, you know, if at all. Uh, so I, I think it's a I think, yeah, it's a schematic thing. But I also think that it's just a comfortability. I mean, you know, yeah, Chris Jones might athletically be fit to play on the edge, but he's not used to playing there. And so, you know, this is something that if Steve Spagnolo and the Chiefs are committed to Chris Jones playing on the edge, edge, there's probably going to be some growing pains and it might just be a scenario where you don't expect Chris Jones to have as huge of a game changing impact as he's had in years past when playing on the inside. I'm not saying that's going to be the case, but it's just something to keep an eye on for sure. But defensively as a whole, you know, Kansas City just had a really hard time, I think, picking up on the RPO, figuring out exactly what Lamar Jackson was going to do with the football, you know, and when he did, I mean, it didn't matter if he was running the ball or if he gave it to someone to run the ball. There was all of this open real estate time after time after time. Uh, The Ravens were gaining yards at will throughout the entire game. It was, you know, kind of like, I mean, second week in a row, it was like watching Bob Sutton and his defense (laughs) of a couple years ago out there for Kansas City. It's shocking to me. I mean, you look at the overall personnel. It's not that different on the defensive side of the ball from last year to this year. But so far, it's been such a struggle for Kansas City to get any kind of stops whatsoever. It doesn't matter if you're playing with, you know, playing against Baker Mayfield, who is a little bit more of a traditional drop back quarterback. He can he's mobile. He can move a little bit, um, but he's kind of more in the traditional gunslinger sense. And then Lamar Jackson, who's going to run all over you. The Chiefs could not find a way to, to stop either team. The other thing I want to point out overall about Kansas City is that the Chiefs are one and one right now. They were very close to losing against the Browns in week one. They were, you know, they're two minutes away, basically, from being 0-2 to start the season. 
I don't know if there's anybody on the planet that would have predicted the start for Kansas City right now. So one and one is bad enough, especially when you're used to winning in September with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. But just think about how close the Chiefs are and how fortunate they are to not be 0-2 at the start of the season. I mean, I think one of the big problems the defense is having, when they made plays, when they were in the correct position, they're just not a very good tackling team right now. No. I would love to know the amount of yardage that Baltimore got after contact on the ground against Kansas City. It had to have been at least at least 40% of the yards were just after contact because the Chiefs did not tackle very good at all. Like you said, Chris Jones largely neutralized. And I really thought that the Baltimore offensive line really kind of dominated the point of attack against yeah. the Chiefs defensive line. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, obviously, a big focus of this game. Uh, the running game, a lot of questions asked of Andy Reid afterwards. There are a lot of Chiefs fans that need to relax, first of all. I don't disagree with anything that you said. and I mean, I was the guy on Thank this you. podcast that said, I, I, I don't, I don't. You, you were all correct <laughs> there. I was the guy that said, hey, if they don't start well against the Browns, they could start 0-5. They could start 0-5. It's possible, if you don't get that confidence early, that they could. Now, should they be 2-0? Probably. And I think they would have been if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire doesn't fumble that football very late as the Chiefs were driving because, let's be honest, for all of the accolades we just gave the Ravens' offense, Chiefs were pretty much getting almost anything they wanted from their offense against the Ravens' defense. I liked what I saw from CEH last year, 27 rushes for 89 yards in two games this year with no touchdowns. Tommy, he's only averaging 3.3 yards per carry, under 45 yards a game, and that fumble is absolutely soul-crushing. The Chiefs do not have a run longer than 15 yards, and that was by Tyreek Hill at wide receiver. So I don't know exactly what the blend is. I feel like if you score 36 points, you probably need to win about 98% of those games. So I am loath to heap a whole lot of criticism on the offense. Obviously, the interception from Mahomes was was a terrible decision. I, wanna, I know that, he, I know I, that he, would, he would tell you that. And I know that the running game could be better, but it's hard for me to really get all bent out of shape about the offense when there's when they put up 36 points. I want to counter what you said about Patrick Mahomes and that interception being the game changer for Kansas City right now and the the in your mind what the catalyst that led the Chiefs to lose that game. It was a game I'm sorry. Play. I'm sorry. Patrick Mahomes didn't give up 251 yards on the ground. Patrick Mahomes didn't give up over seven yards per play against the Ravens on Sunday night. Patrick Mahomes didn't give up 31 first downs. Patrick Mahomes Did didn't fumble. Patrick Mahomes didn't fumble the football with under three minutes to go already in field goal range for the Chiefs late in the game to take the lead. Patrick Mahomes did none of that. So I'm sorry. Patrick Mahomes only threw his first interception in his career in the month of September. That wasn't that didn't do anything to change the momentum of the game whatsoever, sure in my opinion. No, it didn't. Because the Chiefs it, were driving. They were ahead by eleven points in the fourth quarter. They what were leading by eleven points. That game that play did not change the outcome of the oh game whatsoever. I'm sorry. The fact that the Chiefs defense couldn't stop their nose from running. That's what led the Chiefs to lose the game. Clyde edwards helaire dropping the ball late in the game. That's what led the Chiefs to losing the game. The fact that the Chiefs couldn't get a stop on the last possession of the game on defense and Lamar Jackson converts a fourth and one, that's what led to the Chiefs losing the game. Not an interception, a fluke interception that Patrick Mahomes throws for the first time in his career in the month of September. I'm not putting this on his shoulders at all. You, you could say, okay, so... One of the things that we've always said about Patrick Mahomes is how athletic he is, how gifted he is, how he sees things that nobody else can see. One thing that we don't give him a lot of credit for is that he's smart. Sure. Patrick Mahomes makes excellent decisions. So we can't criticize him when he makes a bad decision. That's not. He made one. I'm not he saying. He made one. I never said that it was his fault. I never blamed Patrick you Mahomes said, for the loss. You that said is, that that play changed the outcome of the game. It did. It no, did it change didn't. the outcome of the game. Absolutely. It was the catalyst That's that ridiculous. changed the, the entire framework of the rest of the game. You know if why the it didn't? Don't turn that over there. 
probably they kick a field goal, and we're not even having this conversation at this point. We're not. Yeah, I mean, you could go back and say the fact that, you know, Teron Matthew scored a pick six. That was the reason why the Chiefs were in the game at all, because otherwise they would have lost by eight points. I mean, like you can pull anything out of the air and say that was the catalyst for the final score. Every play contributes to the final score. But the fact that the Patrick Mahomes interception in the second half was the catalyst that led to the Chiefs losing that game is absolutely bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. They had all the momentum. The Chiefs had a hundred percent of the momentum. Look at the win percentage after the Ravens make that interception. Look at how it changes in the Ravens' favor. I'm not saying that they are favored to win the game at that point. It's not what I'm saying. You're putting words in my mouth, making an argument that I'm not trying to make. I'm not saying that this is Patrick Mahomes' loss and it's his fault. I'm saying that that was the biggest single play that changed the trajectory of the game. And I'm just was. not going to jump on a guy's back for making a turnover for the first time it. in the month of September in his career. I'm, I'm just not going to do it. I'm, I'm, is this is this is this mic on? I hear Did you. Did I not just you're say com- you're that coming it's not through Patrick loud and Mahomes fault? I didn't. But you didn't said I? that his turnover. It doesn't matter. We're we're playing semantics here. But the bottom line is that there were so many fact factors that there played were. into the Chiefs losing and, that and game. Mahomes and I'm sorry, the, the interception. One. You just said it was the catalyst. Mah- that, play, that was not that the biggest one, one. Play that one play was the biggest delta no. in the game between a Chiefs win oh and a Chiefs loss. Clyde edwards Lair dropping the ball under three minutes to go sure. and fumbling it away. Why? That wasn't the biggest play, but the Patrick Mahomes interception was? Are you kidding me? Why is that turnover such the, a huge deal, the hugest deal, the biggest deal in the world, but the Patrick Mahomes turnover makes no difference at all? Please, because please it, explain this to me. Because the difference is the Chiefs were up 11 when Patrick Mahomes threw the interception. Exactly. They had no the cushion. The, time, the Chiefs were down by one with the chance to take the lead late Patrick in the game. Mahomes, That's a bigger turnover. You have to understand the time <sighs> of the score. He does. He does. If you do, you don't throw that ball. There's no reason to throw that ball into double coverage. Even if you're down by 100 or up by 100, you do not throw that ball falling down into double coverage. I certainly would not want to take away any of the creativity, any of the athleticism. I certainly wouldn't want to say Patrick Mahomes, hey, you know, you need to be smarter about throwing the ball. Look at what he has done. What I am saying is maybe if you're up by two scores in the fourth quarter and basically the only way that Baltimore can get back into the game is via the turnover – take the sack. We would be saying that for every other quarterback in the history of the game. And I'm all I'm saying is that we should be saying it about Patrick Mahomes. All I'm saying is that while it's valid that he had a turnover that, that did contribute yes. to the Chiefs losing the game, I'm not saying that was the catalyst because I don't think it was. That was a contributing factor. I would rather, I would I don't want to focus my attention on one turnover from Patrick Mahomes. I would rather focus my attention on the complete defensive breakdown and the fact that the Chiefs running game, as you just said, is averaging three, what do you average? Three yards a carry and fumbled the ball late in the game. My biggest criticism at the end of that game was the fact that Patrick Mahomes didn't have the ball in his hands, instead gave it to Clyde Edwards-Elair to drop the football and give it back to the Ravens. That's a bigger story in my mind than a fluke turnover in the third quarter That's from ridiculous. Patrick Mahomes. The, I'm just the, the the play. There is nothing. This is you know what this is. This is exactly the same criticism that Andy Reid got. Oh my gosh, how can you quarterback sneak Patrick Mahomes and get him hurt? That's, That's not what I'm saying at That's all. Crazy. I'm saying why You're do you take the ball the out of the hands? Why Clyde do you take Edwards the ball Lair out of the hands of your best player? Fumble once last year. Did not fumble once. You want. But how effective the, has he been? How effective has he I'm been? I'm not saying he's been effective. The Chiefs didn't really need him to break off 5, 10, 15 there. They needed him to get about three yards and do what he was doing. They mm. All they needed him to do was run forward and not fumble the ball, which he had never done. I'm not saying that Clyde Edwards Hilaire is living up to his billing as a first round pick. I'm not saying the Chiefs are getting everything out of him that they need to get out of him, but I'm saying criticizing the play call, you want time to come off the clock. You don't want to have an interception. I'm not saying you have to plan on you can't plan on Patrick Mahomes as an offensive coordinator when you're trying to work the clock. If they had thrown the ball 
and there happened to have been, what if there's a drop? What if Patrick Mahomes miss? You know, he can miss throws. Then people are going to be yelling at Andy Reid because he can't manage the clock. And why aren't we running? The I'm not football? saying that at all. I'm not saying you can't manage the clock. All I'm saying is do, that but I'm not saying that Fair all. Enough. All I'm saying is that if we're going to focus our attention on something, if we want to focus it on one thing, one breakdown, be the one mistake, it's not the interception from Patrick sure. Mahomes. And I, That's I mean, my I only point. Like I, I feel like I spent like seven minutes not focusing on that interception. Yeah. And uh, I take issue with the fact of you calling that interception the catalyst that led to the Chiefs losing. That's my only point. It I wasn't mean, the catalyst. Yeah. It was a contributing factor, but there was a bigger catalyst, and it was the defense. The Chiefs' defense would have been overcome if that interception would not have been made. The Chiefs' whatever. defense was going to be bad whether or not that interception happens. Yeah. The Chiefs there's, no are different there's no way to guarantee if he that. doesn't make that interception. Yeah. I also I mean, want to comment on Tyreek Hill. He has a fantastic attitude. He was a big part of the offense against the Ravens. Didn't pout. Ravens took him away. Patrick Mahomes did a good job going to Kelsey, who had a monster game. Byron Pringle with a 40-yard touchdown. And Mahomes found the tie. He even found like the fullback for a first-down pickup. Next up are the Chargers on Sunday at Arrowhead. It's a noon kickoff on CBS. Started divisional play. L.A. is 1-1. One one. Four-point win over Washington to open up the season. They had a heartbreaking three three-point loss to the Cowboys last week. Not exactly world beaters in their first two games. I will say this, Tommy. If the rushing attack of Austin Eckler can't be stopped by Kansas City, who's run 24 times for 111 yards in two games, we will know that the Chiefs' season is in jeopardy. Because if you can't stop the Chargers and Austin Eckler, you're going to have to have Patrick Mahomes taking chances like that that he did against the Ravens because you will not be able to have any faith. I think at this point we both still have some sort of faith that the defense from the Super Bowl season is going to come around. Maybe not to that extent. Maybe not quite at that level, but that the defense is going to improve. If Austin Eckler runs for 200 yards against the Chiefs, we got a big problem in Kansas City because Patrick Mahomes, I'm not sure that he can overplay and outplay a Chiefs defense that will be that bad. Oh, he absolutely can. Uh, and I'm not like I'm not going to be chicken little so. here and say the sky is falling. It doesn't have to be a hope so. Look at what he did the 2018 season that, uh, with the Bob Sutton defense. I mean, he absolutely shredded defenses himself. I think of that Monday night football game against the Rams. The Chiefs ended up losing that game, but they the final score was what 58 to 55 or something like that. I mean, I, I tweeted it during the game, you know, uh, against uh, the Ravens uh, on Sunday night, basically saying the Chiefs are going to have to score 50. Every week with the way the defense is playing. But if there is a quarterback that can do it, it's Patrick Mahomes. Is it ideal? It's absolutely not ideal. That's not the way that you would want it. And I remember even saying during that 2018 season, please don't waste the talents of Patrick Mahomes. Get him a defense to where he doesn't have to go and put the world on his shoulders and be Superman every single week and and throw for 500 yards. At least least do that. Exactly. I mean, give him give him some tools around him. And and to Brett Veach's credit, he absolutely went out and did that the next season. And the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. And you know they were able to get some you know defensive talents in there and some assets. Uh, I'm not saying. I mean, I think that two games is a small enough sample size absolutely. that you can't yet make a full judgment on the way the defense is going to be. But I agree with you. If there's another issue, especially stopping the run next week against the Chargers, then at that point, you start to have to think about, okay, we're going to have to lean on Patrick Mahomes like we did in 2018. It's not going to be as complete of a team as we saw in years past. It's, again, not ideal. It's not what we would want, but we have seen Kansas City succeed in that system. I'd like to think that Steve Spagnola is a little bit more competent than Bob Sutton was and is already working on making the the necessary adjustments. But at the end of the day, um, it's not fair for a once in a generation quarterback like Patrick Mahomes to have to play his ass off week in and week out and put up ungodly numbers every single game just to ensure that the Chiefs can squeak by because their defense can't stop anybody. So my hope would be that they're able to get that short up.
And let's also be fair. I mean, he's got some of the best weapons that, you know, sure. maybe quarterbacks have ever had to work with in Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, among others. And Byron, you know, Crandall. and I, I got to give a shout out. Yeah. To the, to the secondary receivers. I mean, Nicole Hardman and Demarcus yeah, Robinson and, and Byron Pringle, Blake Bell uh, had some he action. Had a nice the, little catch there. He did, you know, the Bishop Carroll product, uh, you know, had, had some action uh, for Kansas city. So, you know, he's got a lot of weapons around him. Uh, so yeah, it's not just the Patrick, Mahomes show obviously he's the he's the main attraction but you've got to get some help and lockdown on the defensive side of the ball once again it is a noon kickoff on CBS the competition level should be going down theoretically we both thought that the Ravens and Browns were going to be two of the teams at the end that we're looking in to getting into the Super Bowl this year one of those top four teams maybe five depending on how highly you rate Tennessee who's looked pretty good at times here in the early season but uh, Chargers not thinking it's going to be in that top echelon of competition so I don't know we'll Justin see. Herbert's a pretty good quarterback too I'm not saying that he I isn't. would put Justin Herbert right behind Patrick Mahomes in the AFC West as far as if you're ranking quarterbacks okay. I thought you were going to say AFC and I was no, no, no. Have to hit in the division with. I'll just have to hit you with that. If they in the division, like whoa, whoa, in the division. AFC West, sure. Uh, Derek Carr had a pretty nice, had a couple of nice throws for the Raiders. Now, can he sustain it? Uh, I'm not sure about that. And how about the dark horse of the Broncos? Are two and zero to start the season? Yeah, it kind of makes you want to throw up a little bit, doesn't it? A little bit. Uh, the wind, Wichita wind surge. They not quite two and zero, but boy, have they been surging. They are into the playoffs. Don't know if you have noticed. Was able to be there, Tommy. When they clinched, got myself my 2020 inaugural season cup. <laughs> Man, uh, what a night it was for them to clinch. So happy that I, I didn't really plan on being there. This was just happened to be the night that me and my friends could go. Um, what a game it was. All the runs were scored in the sixth inning. One run uh, came across. For Arkansas, and the wind surge answered right back with three. Got some outstanding relief pitching down the stretch to close out the victory and the wind surge into the AA Central Championship Series. They're going to play North Division rival Northwest Arkansas is how that works out. Too bad if you're the South Division champs from Frisco. They lose the tiebreaker from a missed 2020 season to division champs in 2021. A double A central title opportunity. Tommy, what an auspicious start for the Wichita Wind Surge in their life as a minor league baseball franchise. Yeah, I read uh, an article from the Wichita Eagle um, talking about what the motivating factor was uh, for the wind surge down the stretch. And, you know, really the rallying cry was, you know, win for Lou um, and, and just everything that Lou Schweckheimer did to bring this team to Wichita, um, you know, be the visionary behind the wind surge, relocating from New Orleans to the air capital, building Riverfront Stadium. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the the tragic loss of, of Lou Schweckheimer due to COVID-19, which ultimately canceled the entire 2020 season for the wind surge, which was supposed to be filled with so much fanfare and celebration. So really tragic the way that that ended for Lou Schweckheimer. Didn't get a chance to, you know, see his team make it to the playoffs or even play a game in Wichita before he passed away. But the fact that, you know, Ramon Borrega and the coaching staff and uh, just the players, uh, you know, just were able to rally together. They've been an exciting team all year long, and it doesn't matter what combination of uh, the lineup, you know, lineup card looks like or who's out on the field. I mean, you've got guys that, you know, have been promoted up to, uh, you know, AAA and even to the to the big leagues throughout the course of the season. And guys like Jose Miranda and uh, Jermaine Palacio and, you know, some of these other guys that are no longer with the wind surge had such a big impact early on in the season. Uh, and now they get a chance to really cap off what has been just a, a dynamite inaugural year for the wind surge here in Wichita. Uh, I love the fact that it's against Northwest Arkansas. Uh, you know, I think that everybody's going to always say that Wichita and Tulsa had the natural rivalry, and I don't disagree with that at all. You look at Shockers and the Golden Hurricane and, you know, their uh, bouts over the years on, on the basketball court and even on the football field sure. you know, back in the day. Uh, and then you look at the Wichita Thunder and the Tulsa Oilers and their rivalry on the hockey rink. I mean, Wichita and Tulsa has a built-in rivalry. And I don't disagree that the Windsurge and the Drillers have that too. But I think in this first season, the main rival has been the Windsurge and the National. 
naturals. And the fact that, uh, you know, they're going to be playing in the playoffs and come on, like the, just the intrigue of the fact that the naturals were the Wranglers and they abandoned Wichita to go to Northwest Arkansas just adds a whole nother layer of intrigue in this playoffs. And so you better believe I'll be following it closely. Well, yeah, not only that, but they're the Royals affiliate. That's the main natural market for Wichita. I, I can't imagine Tommy what, it will be like if the they're going to be proud either way. You know, you if you're able to come in, you build a stadium to a in a city in which you know minor league professional baseball is is basically dead. I mean, it's been you know decades, and this I I don't want to kind of dismiss or diminish what the wingnuts were for Wichita because I think that, you know, the Robertson family came in, they filled a void. They were very successful. They won championships, won divisions. They brought a lot of good players and and in terms of their, of the, the level of baseball that they played, they ran as professional and as classy of an organization that you can run at that level. So I don't want to, you know, diminish what they did, but when you're doing it at the minor league level, when you are feeding a big league club, it just feels different. Sure. And I know that it's going to feel special and be emotional after this first season, no matter what, but I can't imagine you mentioned all those, those different groups, the coaching staff, the front office, the the players for me, I can't imagine what it would be like for his family for the, I believe his wife still owns the team. I think he's got other family members that are still involved in the front office. I can't imagine what it's going to be like for them if they can get the trophy. I know that minor league baseball probably going to have new trophies this year because this is the first after the the total revamp when Major League Baseball tore up the minor league system. So who knows what trophies they're going to get. But whatever the the final object that they're playing for, if they're able to bring that to Wichita and open up next season – I don't know where they're where they're going to put the championship banners. They got a divisional banner, obviously, to hang somewhere, and if they can hang a a, a league championship, I can't imagine what that'll be like for the Schweikheimer family because I know that they going to Wichita. I'm not sure that was the natural move. I'm sure that there were other places the baby cakes could have gone. Maybe that would have been more natural, but you have to give credit to the leadership that was in the city at the time. You have to give credit to Lou Schweckheimer, who obviously had a vision. Jeff and saw something saw something that nobody else did and took a chance, completely rebranded his team and has become a part of the community. It's a best of five series, Wichita hosting game three, four, and five if necessary. The series is starting in Springdale, Arkansas. Today, as you are watching this video or listening to this podcast, uh, Game 2 is going to be Wednesday. Series shifts back to Riverfront Stadium on Friday at 7.05. So no matter what, there will be at least one game in Wichita. And if the Wichita wind surge clinch in 3, 4, or 5, I can't imagine what that will feel like for his family. Yeah, you know, uh, shout out to to Jeff Longwell, uh, former mayor of Wichita. Uh, He basically staked his entire mayoral career uh, on affiliated baseball here in Wichita. And you know what? I think that that was partially... part of the reason that he lost in his reelection bid. And I, I'm not saying not going to get political here at all, but um, he Thank really you. jumped, he really jumped on that, on that bandwagon. He, he had a vision to bring, and I don't want to say jump on the bandwagon. He really moved that conversation forward as far as affiliated baseball is concerned. And, you know, he's not the mayor anymore, but his dream of affiliated baseball was realized here, yes. you know, in Wichita with that stadium. Um, the other thing I want to mention about the wind surge uh is that not only, I mean, I've had so much fun going to the games that I, I was able to go to this year. I think I went to six or seven of them uh, over the course You're a of the season. season. Ticket holder. Yeah, partial season ticket holder. And I think I'll do it again, you know, next year. At least I hope I can. Um, my plea to Wichita is to keep coming out and supporting this team. Um, not just when it's convenient, not just when they're in the playoffs and potentially winning league championships, but continue to support this team. Um, I grew up in Wichita. I grew up going to Wranglers games. I loved going to Wranglers games uh, and I loved the Wranglers. 
But as the years went on, the community support for the Wranglers declined pretty significantly. And it wasn't really the fact that the team wasn't good because in a lot of years they were. If you'll remember, the Royals farm system was really good when the parent club was really bad. That was kind <laughs> yeah. of what the Royals hung their hat on, that they could develop these stars like Johnny Damon and Carlos Beltran and Zach Greinke and Billy Butler and Alex Gordon. That's what they did. And so the stars were, the future stars were in Wichita, but nobody came out to see them. And so Why was my... That? I think some of it was the facility. I think a lot of it was, you know, just That's not having, criticism. but, but I, but I, I don't think it was just that. I just think it was an overall lack of, of caring uh, about and, and kind of thing and taking it for granted and thinking it's always going to be here. You know, like I don't have to go to the game tonight because it's the team's always going to be here. And then when they announced they were going to Springdale and the fact that they're, you know, the the city of Springdale and that region, they were going to build a brand new stadium uh, that attracted uh, the, the Wranglers to, to jump and leave town. I'm sure that they've been losing money for a while in Wichita. I'm sure that there wasn't any sort of uh, priority placed on building a new downtown stadium. And so Obviously they went because it didn't happen yeah. until 2019. I mean, they went where the, the, the game was wanted. good. They went where they were wanted. And so right now, the city of Wichita and the fans want the wind surge and they want Riverfront Stadium. And I think that that's a game changer by itself. But my plea is that next year and the year after and five years from now and 10 years from now, the city and the fans still want the wind surge because we know what it's like to not have that in our city. And I think Wichita as a whole, from a cultural perspective, from an attraction perspective, from just an overall uh, city, just improvement perspective, Wichita is better with affiliated baseball in it. No doubt. I have no disagreement whatsoever. Once again, it might be your last chance to see the wind surge in their inaugural season, 7.05, first pitch on Friday. And the weather's looking pretty nice. Didn't check the precipitation, but the temperature should be a little cool. Might even be a little jacket weather coming up as a little taste of October baseball comes our way here in the air capital uh, as the Wichita wind surge will be playing for a league championship. We move back to football, college football this time, where the Kansas State offense was sluggish, but the defense once again was solid. Took 21 points in the fourth quarter, but Kansas State ran away from Nevada 38-17 on Saturday in Manhattan. Game could not have started any better for the Cats. A Will Howard touchdown to Daniel Amaterbebe, a 68-yard strike just seconds into the game to lead 7-0, but the Kansas State offense mostly inconsistent over the next three quarters with the exception of a very impressive eight-play drive that was capped off on a 22-yard run by Joe Irvin. Kansas State not able to do a ton, but Kansas State was dominant in the fourth quarter. Rushing touchdown for Deuce Vaughn, two rushing touchdowns for Will Howard, and Nevada completely locked out after scoring 10 points in the third quarter. Howard 7 for 10, 123 yards through the air for Kansas State. And Kansas State, again, Tommy, living on the ground, winning the time of possession, and certainly dominating the ground game. Not doing too much through the air, but they were able to get the big strike when it presented itself. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, defensively for Kansas State, we've talked about them for the last few weeks. Um, on the program a week ago, I mentioned that the Kansas State defense would have a big test up against Carson Strong, quarterback for Nevada, who is one of the, the top collegiate quarterbacks uh, in America. And the, the Kansas State defense did a pretty good job on Carson Strong. He looked like limiting, just a guy to me, Tommy. Yeah, limiting him to only 262 yards through the air, 27 to 40. So not uh, particularly long passes for the most part from Carson Strong, one touchdown and one interception. So they were really able to limit him, but even more so limit the rush attack uh, from Nevada. There really wasn't anybody that could do much of anything on the ground for Nevada during that game. Devontae Lee averaged 2.4 yards a carry. Toa Tawa averaged 2.5 yards a carry. Avery Morrow averaged just right at 2 yards a carry. He only rushed one time. But there really wasn't a whole lot that Nevada could do on the ground against the Wildcat defense. And then you mentioned Will Howard. He did what he needs to do as Skylar Thompson's backup. Not throw the ball a whole lot. Be a good game manager. 
But when he does throw the ball, be efficient. He was 7 of 10, 123 yards, one touchdown, no picks. That's kind of what you want to see out of a guy like Will Howard, who's not going to wow you through the air. And that's not really his job. That's not really why he's there in Chris Kleiman's offense. He's there, again, as a placeholder. Hopefully, Skylar Thompson can come back once again from injury this season. We sound like a broken record talking (laughs) about that. But in the meantime, I feel like Wildcat fans can at least take a deep breath and see that, you know, at least in this one game, it'll be different in Big 12 play, but at least in this one game, Will Howard was able to fill in admirably for Skylar Thompson. We did see a third quarterback for Kansas State in the second quarter. I thought kind of inexplicably they put in Jaron Lewis, who was two for three with six yards, and he had a couple of really bad passes, one of which did get a completion, but it was behind the line of scrimmage, kind of hung his guy out to drive. Uh, I was I did not see anything from him at all that would lead me to believe that he should be the guy instead of Howard. I'm not really understanding why they took Howard out. Phillip Brooks had six catches to lead the Wildcats. Nobody else had more than two. The, the question is kind of the opposite of the conversation we've been having with the Chiefs when it's can the rushing game just do enough to keep teams off balance. For Kansas State, it's can the rushing offense continue to sustain. They ran the ball right down the throat of the pack. 48 rushes, 269 yards, only 129 through the air, as you mentioned. So can Kansas State run the ball against a Big 12 defense when those Power 5 bodies stack the box? And they're going to get a test in the Power 5 coming up this weekend against Oklahoma State. That'll be the big test for Kansas State. Yeah, I think they can, though, because obviously we're going to spend a lot of time and and rightfully so talking about Deuce Vaughn, who is just on another level, you know, averaging over five yards a carry with a touchdown. Um, He's the workhorse for the Wildcats running the ball. But I was really impressed with Joe Irvin, 11 carries, 82 yards. He averaged over seven yards a carry with a touchdown as well. A nice change of pace for Kansas State. And of course, you know, Will Howard is going to keep the ball on the ground as well and he was effective against Nevada Absolutely. also so almost you know, five yards a carry yeah exactly so you look at that and you know I I think that knowing that the Wildcats don't have to 100% fully rely on Deuce Vaughn I think when you do that again he's an incredibly dynamic back but if you focus entirely on him that allows the defense to focus entirely on him as well. So a good change of pace with a couple of other guys that can run the football. And then you've got, you know, a great number one receiver in Malik Knowles uh, and Will Howard doing what he can do. Um, I, I, I do think obviously there's a drop off between Skylar Thompson and Will Howard. And I think it'll, again, it'll be more noticeable in Big 12 play. But I do think that the way that the the scheme offensively is put together for Kansas State, um, I'm not fully concerned, especially in this opening game against Oklahoma State. I think third down conversions are going to be what you need to see out of the passing game. Outside of that 68-yarder to matter Bebe, they didn't have a pass completion of longer than 16 yards. I don't know if that's necessarily, you know, a killer for Kansas State because Kansas State still converted five of nine times on third downs. If you could run the ball effectively enough and just stay ahead of the chains, you don't have to take the big shot. You don't get yourself into third and nine, 10, 11 plus yards. I think that you can survive with the passing game that Kansas State has. If you need to pick up a six, seven yard completion, you know, Will Howard has proven that he can do that. He did last game, at least. First game, did have a couple of interceptions that weren't so great. But we'll see how that turns around for them as they play Oklahoma State. It's not like the Cowboys are necessarily known for having one of the top-tier defenses in the Big 12 under Mike Gundy. It's going to be 6 p.m. kickoff Saturday, and that will be on the plus. Hey, shout out to, by the way, Daniel Green uh, on defense for Kansas State. Nine tackles and a sack in the game. He was uh, the leading tackler defensively for Kansas State. Oh, and also, we would be remiss to mention, it's not just Kansas State. It's number 25 in America, Kansas State, entering the AP Top 25 this week. I know there were some Kansas State fans who were thinking, oh my gosh, we're going to get screwed over and Oklahoma State's going to be above us in the Top 25. It didn't happen. Let's see if they can stay there. Obviously got the top 25 last year, but then kind of faded away once they got into the top 25 to end the season. So, yeah, like it, like you said, all the praise in the world to Daniel Green. And Kansas State had several tackles for loss in the game. Looks like they had about six tackles for loss and three sacks. So they definitely did a good job. And like you said, 
I thought that Nevada, the passing game, Carson Strong, maybe I'm. this is why I'm not an NFL talent evaluator. He did not look like NFL talent to me. Looked like he was just the guy who was out there. And to me, watching him play against Kansas State, and maybe he's going to throw all over Boise State and New Mexico and all these other Mountain West teams. But when I watched him, I thought, yeah, it's a guy that probably should be playing in the Mountain West. Definitely not a guy that I think I'm going to see on Sundays. And maybe that's just Kansas State and what they were able to do to him. So credit to them. Uh, a very interesting game. I think, Tommy, this is about as interesting of a like a you know a 30-point football game that I think that we could possibly have as KU did take it on the chin against Baylor. But if you would have watched just the first 30 minutes of this game, you would have seen a much, much different story. KU trailing 14-7 at the half, looking like, I shudder to say this, I'm excited to say this, and I feel a little bit sheepish to say this about Kansas because, let's be honest, they're 1-2 and and they have beaten absolutely nobody this year, but they kind of looked like a competent football team. You may have confused KU for a competent football program the way they defended, the way they got the huge drive down the field, engineered by Jason Bean, going into the half that they absolutely had to have in order to have any chance of making this a football game in the second half. Now, obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty, and they didn't make it a game in the second half. They gave up a ton of points and lost 45-7. to But for the first 30 minutes of this game, Tommy, I correct me if I am wrong, you could have watched that game. If you had not known anything about Kansas, you could have looked at them and said, yeah, that's a competitive football program. Yeah, uh, you know, unfortunately, the game is 60 minutes and not 30 minutes, right? <laughs> it is. Um, you know, I, I I think it was really telling the way that Lance Leipold addressed the media after the game. I don't know if you had a chance to watch I any of so his post-game press me. conference. Um, he was frustrated, and uh, he showed that he was frustrated. You know, he talked about how they needed to go and look at the film, but what was on the film was not good and that he was not happy with the outcome. He was not happy with the output. Um, and he, you know, he felt like that there were obviously a lot of things that needed to be cleaned up that, that spoke volumes to me. As far as his leadership, you could visibly tell that he was disgusted with his team. He was disgusted with probably his coaching staff himself um, and in that moment, I did have this thought of, I wonder if he regrets, you know, making this change, <laughs> you know, going from a Buffalo team where he didn't have feelings like that uh, to now coming to Kansas in a massive rebuild. But uh, I think when I watched that, I thought this is the guy that can turn it around uh, because he it wasn't um, he didn't try to find a way to spin it. He didn't try to find a way to paint a bunch of positives. He didn't say oh yeah, you know, we were able to hang with them for a little while, so that shows we're getting better. It was a, what we did was not good enough. And we are going it to wasn't. do everything we can possibly do, you know, to turn that around. And and the thing about it is that, it, you know, you can say, and I'm not criticizing anything that you just said, but when you talk about, oh yeah, they looked like a halfway decent football team for 30 minutes. But then you look at the final score, 45 to seven against a Baylor team. That was probably your best Not chance to win. Good. Yeah. Yeah. You probably your best chance to win a, a conference 12, game this absolutely. season in the big 12 and you're losing 45 to seven, that's like kissing your sister. And so, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, um, that's not, uh, there, there is no such thing as moral victories. You hear coaches talk about that all the time. It's about the final score, you know, on, on, on the field, um, and this at is the something end of the game. You and I have talked about at some point, the standard has to get higher. The question Absolutely. is when should fans demonstrably change their standard for the program? And you have, I, you and I have agreed it ain't this year. No. For Lance Leopold, it can be – it probably was week one. It was probably sure. the second that he stepped in. Sure. But he's the head coach. We're fans, and we can't hold him to that standard because but you know that what? Be I, stupidity. I, I think that you can, um, as a fan, this is kind of what I've done. I've written off this season as far as a wins and losses record is concerned. It doesn't really matter, no. They're not going to win a game this season. I said that. When we previewed the team before the like year started, another they're, game. they're not going to win another game. We already got that game. win, right. baby. Let's <laughs> go. They're, they're not going to win another game. They're not going to win a conference game this season. Oh, that's too bad. Um, I, but 
I think that you can look at the small things. You can look at who's the leader. What is the coaching staff doing? What are they? I know you're going to hate this, but I'm going to say it anyway. What are they doing on the recruiting trail that is different from other uh, other staffs before them? I don't know if you saw this, Blake, and I know you're going to say it doesn't matter, but I do think that it's an important change in culture that we haven't seen from previous coaching staffs. They have put an, em- an emphasis on recruiting in state. They've made an, em- an emphasis in going in the Kansas City metro and recruiting. They They were all on Twitter earlier this week, the entire coaching staff talking about how they're hanging out in Kansas City and doing all. They have offered more players. They've offered the same amount of players in the state of Kansas as Kansas State has. I saw that last week. That hasn't happened in forever, probably since Mark Mangino was the coach. I don't know that for sure. You know, that's probably something to be fact checked. Beat Ron Prince either. But Mark Mangino at least made an effort. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Les Miles, Charlie nope. Weiss, nope. I don't know about David Beatty. I mean, it doesn't nope. really matter, but nope. yeah, you if you they can't didn't... win your own state, how in yep. the world are you supposed to beat Oklahoma and Oklahoma or Texas and Texas or anybody else, any of the SEC right. teams who are coming in here and getting the best players too? Yeah, exactly. So the fact that they're doing those little things right now, who cares about the wins and losses this season? I know Coach Leipold does. I get it. But at the same time, let's look at the things that are the building blocks to build the program long term. Uh, And, you know, other coaches in the past, they've done different things like Charlie Weiss relied on Juco transfers that set the program back five years that Mm -hmm. in his mind was going to be the quick fix. And it wasn't. So what are the things that Leipold, Coach Leipold is doing right now to build the program up long term? And so that's what I'm looking at. So, yeah, this year is not going to be it. For Jayhawk fans as far as looking at improvement on the field, but I, I urge you to look at some of the other things that are happening behind the scenes. The Kansas Jayhawks will have a last non-conference chance to get a win. Duke football is a bit of an enigma this year. They lost at Charlotte to begin the season. They blew the doors off of North Carolina A&T. They held on to beat Northwestern out of the Big Ten last week. Northwestern is not that far removed from being a at least a competent, you know, hanging around the top 25 kind of a football program and competing for a Big Ten championship. Now they play in that terrible division, so I'm not sure what that really matters. But if you're interested in following this game and you happen to have the Atlantic Coast Conference Network, you can watch this game at a 4 o'clock kickoff. Uh, the game will be played on the East Coast. That's coming up in Durham. Uh, that will be on the ACC Network. Do we get the ACC? Do we discover? Do we get the ACC network on the plus? I have no idea. I don't know. I don't have the plus, so I've yeah, got no clue. I, I just started. I I'm an, I'm a newbie to the plus, so I, I really don't know what what the answer is to that. So anyway, four o'clock on the ACC network brings us to our last segment hey, of the show. Before, oh, have- hey, before we I before we move away from KU, uh, this news broke today. So I'm not sure, Blake, if you've had an opportunity to see this. I may not have. The leading running back from the 2020 season for KU, Velton Gardner, has entered the transfer portal. So he is leaving the Kansas football program. This is after he only carried the ball two times for four yards against Baylor over the weekend. Uh, He's only rushed for 56 yards on 29 rushing attempts. That's under two yards a carry with no touchdowns uh, on the season. But he was the leading rusher for KU uh, in the 2020 season. Um, Kind of mixed feelings on that. He was, he, he did produce quite a bit for Kansas, but clearly... Uh, he didn't fit in to whatever the scheme is that Coach Leipold and his staff have. And I don't know if there were, there were other extenuating circumstances that played into it or not, uh, but that did happen uh, just that on, on Monday, Velton Gardner leaving the program. Yeah, I, I don't know if that really matters. I wanted to see him more involved in the offense, but when you look at the totality of the carries that he's had, you know, does, does it really matter? I mean, is that, like, like you said, is that going to be a demonstrable difference? Is Velton Gardner going to be the difference between sure. KU picking up an extra win? I, I can't imagine that that will actually be the case. And so now we are ready for the final segment of the show. It's our chance to look around Wichita, get you up to date on everything else that's been happening. It's our Wichita whip around. One story from around the air capital that maybe you missed this week. So Tommy, let's whip around with you first. 
Yeah, so obviously a lot going on uh, with City League football and just in fall sports in general around the Wichita metro. I figured, though, Blake, you have that covered because you're kind right. of the high school guru. Uh, so I'm not going to take that. that from you. I do have enough. You're wearing a Bishop Carroll shirt. Of course, you're the I mean, high school I, guru. I mean, I, I am on. wearing a bit. Eagle pride never dies, as they say. Uh, but I do, I'm going to go a, a different route here yeah, for my Wichita whip around and give a shout out. I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm actually giving a shout out to Friends University. Wow. Uh, and give a shout out to the Friends University baseball team. Uh, I saw this, uh, ha- this story come across a couple of days ago um, that the Friends University baseball team had an afternoon practice that was a little bit different than what they normally do. They went over to Lake Point, Wichita, which is an assisted living slash nursing home in the Wichita area. And they practiced for the residents there at that assisted living nursing home in Wichita. So they put on, I don't think they actually like scrimmaged or played a game or anything, but they had a full fledged practice uh, in the... I guess, courtyard of Lake Point, Wichita. So the residents who live there could go outside and watch and have a little bit of entertainment and watch the Friends baseball team uh, do that. And you just think about the world of COVID from the last year and a half and especially nursing homes and how residents have been secluded and and just having an opportunity to watch these guys come out and play some baseball one afternoon uh, is pretty cool. So uh, I can't believe I'm, I'm giving them props, but shout out to the Friends University baseball team. I am a much bigger I'm man so, than Weston Mills is. Oh, I, I, I'm so proud of you. It, it almost brings a tear to my eye to, 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 to hear you doing that. Thank uh, you. I will whip around the City League here. Uh, Bishop Carroll going on the road to play Derby, and for the sixth straight time, the Panthers come out on top last week in City League, uh, a cross matchup between the City League and the ABCTL. 44-36. Derby was beating the doors off of Bishop Carroll at the half and scored three points in the second half as Carroll roared all the way back but could not quite overtake the Panthers. Uh, Derby had 41 first half points, proved to be just a little too much to overcome for Bishop Carroll. Dodge City came to Wichita. They beat the Titans of South 35-16. Heights blew out north 69-12. East shut out Southeast at Carpenter Stadium 58 to nothing. 49-0 win for Garden City over West, and this was an eye-opener. The Fighting Weston Sharks, they beat Northwest 34-17 in Week 3. Going into Week 4, Tommy, the Capen Mount Carmel Crusaders are your first-place team in the City League standings at 3-0. Bishop Carroll is 2-0. Now, Wichita West is 1-0, but they are 0-2 in non-GWAL play, so... I don't want to, you know, diminish the Pioneers' chances, but I might diminish the Pioneers' chances just a little bit. Then you've got Heights and East at one and one apiece, Northwest and Southeast at one and two. North and South, the Civil War rivals are winless. This is going to be an absolutely massive holy war between first place Capen and second place Carroll. Now it doesn't come for a couple of weeks. This is not until uh, October eighth at the Striker Complex. Both teams are going to actually go outside of City League play this week. Capen is hosting Great Bend, and Bishop Carroll is going to make the long drive out to play the Demons of Dodge City coming up. But that is going to be massive holy war coming up in October. Yeah, knowing that and knowing the implications of that game and knowing how you at one point or another in your career have called play-by-play for both teams... I have. Will, will you be in attendance? Will you go and watch that game? I I might. It's, it's, I will, personal note, it's really hard for me to go and watch Bishop Carroll games in the stands because, sure. you know, I, I still, there are a lot of things about being in radio that I don't miss, that I, that I don't miss at all. And there are a lot of things about radio that I was doing in my career at that time that I would never, ever go back and do over again. Sure. But the relationships that I built with Bishop Carroll, Alan Shuckman, Dusty Trail, and the the special years with with those teams. I mean, we that when I became the play by play announcer, they went thirty three and one over the next thirty four games and won two state titles, two undefeated seasons. And the way that they welcomed me in was so unbelievably humbling. I miss Bishop Carroll terribly. Most nights when Bishop Carroll's playing, I can't pay attention to the score because I, it brings back 
too many memories and I, I just can't do it. it. It makes me feel sad that I'm not still doing sure. these games. But um, every once in a while, I do make an exception to get out. And maybe that, <laughs> maybe that will be the one that I have to get to. That'd be uh, a game to go to for sure. Yeah, boy, without a doubt. Uh, final little blip of the show here, Tommy. Uh, the ACs and R's, any additions, corrections, or attractions for you? Well, I mean, I can't believe that this was not an actual topic on the program. Um, it's just a complete slap in the face. Um, to you or, or to No, who? not to me. It's just a complete slap in the face to the guy who broke the single season home run record for catchers. Salvador yeah, Perez that is, that hit is. his 46th home run on Monday, breaking Johnny Bench's record. Uh, and he doesn't get an actual segment on the program. Who is planning this show around here? Uh, you know, what are we I doing? Ask, I did ask. If there was anything else you wanted to bring up and you didn't have anything, it's not my so, job. Oh, not my job to plan the no, show. It's not my job. Uh, so, the, yeah, I forgot. This isn't a collaborative <laughs> process. I'm totally in charge of everything. I forgot. Um, I, I will throw the flag on me on that one. Uh, the, the season that he's having, it's it's a real shame. You want to talk about talent getting wasted? The Royals have wasted Salvador Perez this year, and I know the Royals yeah. are playing better. We're going to have a Royals end-of-season wrap-up. I hope that we'll be talking about not just the all-time catcher home run record. I hope we're talking about a 50-home run season for Salvi sure. and the all-time Royals single-season home run record. But Salvador Perez, I said it a couple weeks ago. I don't know if people didn't like it or whatever. I've talked to a couple of people in real life about it, and they've looked at me like I'm a crazy person. So I'll say it again just to make sure that you understand what I'm saying. Salvador Perez right now is the best baseball player on planet Earth. Okay? Watch him play. Using what metric is he not the best baseball player in the planet right now? Look at his average. Look at his power. Look at what he's doing catching for the Royals. Hello. Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all, but the sad thing about it is that because he's playing for the Royals, because they're down this season and because they're in a small market, he won't matter. be considered for the MVP. No, he won't. Uh, you know, he's tied with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for the major league lead in home runs. The major league lead in home runs. And then you've got just a guy named Shohei Otani uh, with 45 home runs, and he's, he's throwing... He's throwing the the cover off the baseball right now, too. Uh, But here's a trivia question for you. And I I wonder, I'm going to put you on the spot here. We've never done trivia on this show before. But I want to see your your baseball history knowledge. We know that Salvador Perez obviously has hit more than 40 home runs in a season. We know that Johnny Bench has as well. There are six catchers in Major League Baseball history who have hit more than 40 home runs in a season. Perez and Bench are two of them. Do you know any of the other four? Uh, Mike Piazza. That's one. Um, how about Pudge Rodriguez? Nope. Not Pudge. Man, if it's not Pudge, then, boy, I might be in trouble on that. Catchers who have hit at least 40 home runs in a season. Boy, I am struggling. Um, we well, got one. I did get Piazza. You got Piazza. That's did, correct. Did did Jorge Posada? Did he do it? Nope, he did not. A real power guy. Nope. I, had a, I don't think I'm going to get another one. So my boy from the Atlanta Braves in the late '90s, early 2000s, Javier Lopez, hit more oh, than 40 I never home got runs. That, but yeah, he's he definitely is a guy that you would think of. Yeah, I think I can hit nope. 40 home runs. Going way back in the day, Roy Campanella. Hit more than forty home runs, and then a dark a dark horse who I always knew played catcher, and I knew that he had a power bat, but I never knew he hit more than forty home runs. The former New York Met Todd Hundley hit more than forty home runs in a season as well. So he so those four guys joined Johnny Bench, and of course the new catcher single season record holder Salvador Perez. That's so awesome. He he deserves to have the record. What's he got? Like about ten days, ten games left. I think there's like fifteen games left actually. So yeah, I think they've got the regular season this year. uh, They play a couple days into October, so there's a couple weeks left in the season. Uh, So yeah, I think he can hit fifty. Uh, you you want to know a little bit about home runs? Uh, I will not fail to mention that the Shocker softball team played the opener in their fall season. Um, how does thirty-one to three sound? Now they played Pitt State, so I mean, the Pitt State's not exactly MIAA softball royalty. I don't think I could be totally wrong on that. Um, they had six home runs. 
They hit four of their six home runs in the first inning, and they scored 16 runs in the first inning. Neely Herring had three dingers on the day. Wow. And uh, she crushed one of them in the first in the first inning at a solo later, two-run shot later in the game. Jessica Garcia had a grand slam that she hit over the left field scoreboard. So we're not that far away from Shocker softball. And, boy, they seem to be primed and ready to try to get back to the College World Series, the, the, the NCAA tournament in softball, for what is becoming a little mid-major powerhouse here out of the American Conference. Really hope that with the American changing, Shockers have got to find a destination for softball because I believe that they have something really, really special there. But they're going to be down to, I believe, below the NCAA cap in terms of softball teams. Shockers have got to find a destination for softball because it would be a shame to waste the talent and the program that Coach Bredbender is building right there at Wilkins Stadium. Thank God we're taking a break from talking about conference realignment. I. I'm ready to at least, you know, not talk about that for a while. So thank you for not including that in the rundown. You are very welcome. And in terms of the rundown, I've run it all down. There's nothing else to run. So we are done for the day. Thank you so much for listening and watching. Remember, follow, like, share, and subscribe. Cogsports.com is the website for the show. You can watch the video, facebook.com slash keeper of the games. And follow us at Cogpod on Twitter. We post the audio every Tuesday or Wednesday sometimes. And it's available every where iHeartRadio, Google, Apple, and so much more. And of course, the best place is always cogpod.podomatic.com. And finally, for our beloved audio listeners, Tommy, if people want to follow you and hear your Chiefs and Royals hot takes, where can they do that? Yeah, so it's funny. Just a quick sidebar. Um, I may have accidentally at some point, I don't know when it happened, put you my... Just, you said private. You said I said it to private. private. Yeah, I didn't I saw realize that. I had... I thought maybe that. you had meant to do it. I didn't I no. didn't say anything. I saw the lock there. I'm like, that's no. kind of weird. He shares it, but it's private. No, and I didn't realize like I, I was like confused as to why nobody was liking my tweets. I thought that maybe <laughs> I had offended people. Nobody could I nobody could see it. Like but I'm, that's why, I'm yeah. hashtagging things about the Chiefs and nobody's saying anything. Uh so I figured that out and I unlocked myself, uh, which is good. But you can follow that's me good. now at any time. If you for sure want to see my tweets, uh uh, you can follow me at tweets from Tommy and I am at B Eclipse as well. So next week on the show, hopefully we're celebrating a win surge championship. Hell we'll yeah. See if the chiefs can turn things around. Plenty of college football to get to as well. Will college realignment be back on the show? Conference realignment. Will it be back? I, there's no way Hope for not. us to know. We'll figure it out then. So we'll see you next week for Tommy. I'm Blake. And this has been the keeper of the games. Take care guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G pod.